Hello and welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly podcast with April Lee Janes and Jessica Outram. Episode 6. Today we're going to look at the question, how does fear impact creativity? Why does creativity make us fearful sometimes? How can fear help our creative work? And what are some strategies for overcoming our fears to be able to create? Hi, April. How are you? Oh, doing good. It was a fun week this week. Took a workshop, had a lot of fun, played in that fear area. So this is a good week to be talking about this. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Well, I can't wait to hear all about your workshop. So maybe we'll dive right in with a quote. I know you and I both really like uh, Elizabeth Gilbert and her book, Big Magic. And she's someone who's spoken quite a bit about fear in her talks and throughout her, her work. So she says that fear is always triggered by creativity because creativity asks you to enter into realms of uncertain outcome. This is nothing to be ashamed of. It is, however, something to be dealt with. And that's from Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. So I'm curious, what does this quote mean to you? Is is fear always triggered by creativity? And if it's something that's to be dealt with, then how do we do that? Well, you know, I I would say that when I first started traveling the creative path, yeah, creativity always triggered my fear. I'd be terrified going into a new workshop or faced with a blank page or those kinds of things. But I wouldn't say it's always triggered because it actually happens less often now for me. The root though is what she talks about, the unknown. And for me, it's also partly performance anxiety, which I think is probably a lot of creative people can relate to. Am I gonna be able to do this? Who am I kidding? You know, that imposter syndrome. What if it doesn't measure up to what I see in my head? You know, the, there's a whole thing about keeping it in your head so it never becomes real. And it always is perfect then too, right? There's one of my favorite books is Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. The quote I like, and you'll probably relate to this, it's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is the sitting down to write. <laughs> he calls fear resistance. And I really like that term a little better because fear, I have been physically paralyzed by it. I know what it, the power of it. It has huge power over us. But resistance, I don't know, that feels kind of like rubber bands and electric, you know, or, you know, motors or something. I don't know. It feels like something I can get past. And even though the world around each of us tries to hold us in some place with distractions and judgments and competition and just plain busyness, resistance feels like it's small enough that if I can figure it out, I can get around it. Fear feels like a big hairy monster in my path. And so I like to think of it. I like that word resistance a lot. I don't know. What about you, Jessica? Do you, how do you feel about that? Well, when you were saying about how you notice that fear is coming up less often in your creative process, I would say that that's very similar for what I'm noticing. And I'm also noticing it moves like that spiral we talked about in a previous episode, how it loops around and it's a little bit different every time. And then I'm learning about it in a bit of a different way each time. So that's happening. And I love what you said about fear being resistance, because 
if, if part of moving through it is noticing and naming, it's, I find it harder to, to notice and name fear than resistance. I can, you know, um, say, okay, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm resisting sharing this poem with the world. What is that? And what's behind that? Whereas mm-hmm. if I look at it as a fear, maybe it's connected to shame and worry in a little bit of a different way. And it's connected more to who I am and less about the work and why I may or may not want to have it out there or why I may or may not want to actually even engage in the work. I know with writing, sometimes they say, write what you know. Sometimes what we know is easy to write about. And other times what we know, especially in the areas of pain and hurt or regret, those are harder areas for us to write about. And so that's where that resistance can pop up, where that fear can pop up. And I do notice that 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 does happen throughout my writing. Yeah. Yeah. There was something too, you said there, and it made me think about noticing it. And I think it's easier to notice resistance because we can ask ourselves that question. What am I resisting here? And for me, it's usually, okay, I'm working bigger now, or I'm trying a new technique or something like that. And then once I recognize that, I know what to do next. It's like, okay, just break it down into a smaller area of that big painting or practice on a piece that doesn't mean so much to me. So I don't feel so resistant to it, but I can find answers to that. Whereas fear just, just holds me. And I don't know if that's true for everybody, but I know for me, it does. I, I, we go blank. And I think that's also part of the way our brain works. The amygdala, you know, fight or flight, we got to get out of here rather than staying and overcoming it. I think it makes a difference. I think another thing that happens to us, you know, we really love our creative endeavors. When we when we're doing something, it is a piece of who we are. And it means a lot to our hearts. So part of resistance may also come from not wanting to disappoint ourselves. And as long, like I said, as long as it stays in your head, it's perfect. But once we do something about it in the real world, everybody else can see it and they can see its flaws and we can see where we couldn't quite measure up to what we had in our head. But what Stephen Pressfield says is the good news is creative resistance is actually a really good compass for you because the more you're resisting, it's really pointing to you what is important to you, what really matters to you. So it's a compass. And if you think of it that way, it's like, oh, wow, I'm really resisting this poem today. Maybe there's something important for me in there that I really need to be exploring. And after you do it, you can decide whether you share it or not, right? What about, does that make sense to you, Jessica? Absolutely. And I'm really, you know, as you're talking, I'm really hearing the word vulnerability shine through Mm. and the importance of leaning into that vulnerability. And I think claiming the resistance and empowering yourself to work through it can really create some really great stuff. You can shift it, you can flip it. This week, I've, I've been resisting um, working on a song. So in as many people know, you can't sing in COVID times together in a choir. So everything's different in the music world. And I sing in a wonderful choir and I just love them and I miss them so much. And a couple times a year since last year, we've been putting together recordings of us singing and then they mash it all together like you've probably seen on the internet. And we participate in a concert with the kids because we're a mentor choir Mm. for a children's music program. And so there's a song that I need to learn and I've been resisting 
spending time on it and learning it. And the reason for that, I think, is the fear and the vulnerability of me just singing that soprano two part by myself into a camera instead of me standing in the choir in the group. So if it was normal choir and we were getting together every week, I would be so excited to learn the song. I couldn't wait to learn a new song. I'd be happy to sing. But because I know that the end result is in a couple weeks from now, I need to have a video of just me singing that part instead of the group. I'm finding that I'm resisting spending time with the song and uh, mm. I, I need to work through that piece and sort that piece out. Have you noticed resistance pop up in your creativity over the last little bit? Well, painting is kind of a solitary act. So it's been pretty, you know, pretty, this is a pretty good time for me right now with COVID because I can paint all I want and now it's not to go anywhere at the moment. Although I do put it up on, on social media. But when you mentioned vulnerability, that really, I don't, I have no idea. I'd be interesting to see if we could find the stats on this, but I wonder if social media has made it that much harder because people just want to jump all over other people. There's just a, like they can hide behind the screen and think they can say anything, which frankly, their grandma would probably smack them up the side of the head for if they said it to somebody in face to face, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> I saw it happen yesterday to an artist I really admire. She has a business page on Facebook. She probably has close to 6,000 followers on that business page. So she's busy on that business page. And she's also on Instagram. And she made some comment very, you know, it was a supportive comment for something that had happened. And I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to get political here. But somebody instantly came back and just, well, I'll tell you, with hobnail boots, jumped all over her about this comment that she had made to the point when I saw her post over on Instagram, she said she was getting off Facebook completely because she had just had it. I don't know if there's if it's affecting our ability to be vulnerable or not. I know it probably is online. Does it does that spill into our art? I have no idea because I already I do know that resistance comes up from places like advertising. You know, we're, we're all shown people that are perfect bodies and happy lifestyles and everything else. And we look at ourselves and think we don't measure up. We look at other artists' work, forgetting that it's their finished work. And we think we don't measure up. And it's that vulnerability has to come from a place that says it's okay to not be perfect here. It's okay to try because if we don't try, we're never going to know. And I know when I was initially starting out as an artist, perfectionism was my big bugaboo. And if it wasn't going to be perfect the first time, I would just go down to the depths of, oh, I can't do this. You know, once I realized that it, you have to make bad art in order before you can make good art, that it was okay to just mess about and do what you had, what you could do. Yeah. Well, and you really, you touch on that idea of compare and despair. And that's a trap that we can fall into sometimes that really triggers the fears and triggers the uh, the pieces. And really, it, it's, it's, it's also ego, right? I was talking to someone last week and saying, you know, how is it some days I feel like I'm walking along and everything's going fine. And then it's like I drop down into this pit. And then now I'm in the pit and I'm like, how did I get here? How can I get back up on the ground and out of this pit? And uh, this friend said, well, the pit is ego. So if you can notice you're in the pit and realize that that's ego, then you'll have no trouble getting back out of it. And I went, oh, oh. 
And as you're as talking, the, the angels sang, yeah. <laughs> right? As you're talking, I'm like, well, that's this what happens to us too, right? As artists and and writers, is is we do fall into the to that pit of compare and despair sometime, of wor- worrying about our worthiness. And again, we're all worthy. We can all create. Getting into that thinking can sometimes get us get us trapped in there. And I just I would love to share with you a quote by Mary Oliver. She says that the most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to creative work, who felt their own creative power restive and uprising and gave it gave to it neither power nor time. I think you mentioned earlier about just uh, that importance of you know, working through and this is a way to do, you have to do the work anyway. We can't let the fear stop us from doing the work because that's a regretful place to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And what are you going to regret more when you come to your final breaths that you went and did the dishes or that you didn't do the painting or write the poem? You know, that often gets me to my work table. I'll I'll think, hmm, yeah, I know what I would regret a lot more. And so I get out and I do the work. I think thinking long-term like that and just asking yourself the question, what would I regret? I have that quote in my, I have a, a special sketchbook that I do that I save quotes in and I do pretty pictures all around it and everything. That one is in there because it means it speaks so much to me. Yeah. One thing before we leave this, because I've got a question for you that we're you're going to explore now. I just want to let our listeners know resistance is really sneaky. And it shows up as rationalization. And we have all these justifications, like like I just mentioned, I should go do the dishes. What if somebody walked in and saw those dirty dishes in my sink, you know? And we use those justifications about why we can't do our work. So when you're resisting something, watch for those justifications. And we're going to give some more information about how to get out of this in a bit. But Jessica, you've studied the history of creativity. And when we talked about this episode and what we wanted to get into it, we realized that history may be a real big but invisible piece of resistance and fear that we're not aware of. Can you, can you give us some of that background, why it's not visible to us today, and yet it is very much there, I think? Sure. So I feel like I've, I've just scratched the surface on some of this research, but this is something that I started looking into because I was curious about how even the word or the concept of creativity has moved through time. So if we go under the assumption that the definition of creativity is to create or make from nothing, it's an English word. It comes from the Latin term carare. It did not apply to human activities until the Renaissance. And it was a poet who claimed the word. And he met, speaking of resistance, he met a lot of resistance using that word. There's, even though there wasn't a word though, there is clear evidence that creativity was happening since before 77,000 BC. And it was very creative expression, being the it, was very important to the human spirit really since the earliest of times. But it was a word that was applied through something that God did, that something that was, that was spiritual. In the Renaissance, a poet tried to claim the word. And, you know, we all know the Renaissance is the time of Michelangelo and da Vinci. And there's a lot going on, you know, that's very close to the time of Shakespeare. So there's, we know there of the, there's this major creative output that's happening across the world. And again, it's, it started far sooner than that. In the 1700s, 
the age of enlightenment, the word was then linked to art theory and imagination. So now we're getting a little bit closer to what we, we call it today. Then by the late 1800s, it was art that was creative. So poetry was not, but the art was creative. <laughs> <laughs> By the 1900s, the word expanded to include other things like science. So now the, it's, it's, it's becoming broader and it moves through the 1900s to the way we use the word today, where we believe everybody is creative and that creativity can be found in math, in science, in carpentry, in cooking. And it's something that everybody has access to. When people began to share their creative processes in the mid-1900s, that's when the term evolved, it was the conversation started to become, how is it that you created that? And there's so much more that we could talk about in terms of how that looked throughout time. But I think if we look to the 1926 and Graham Wallace, he wrote the book, The Art of Thought. And in there, this is where we see the first complete model of what the creative process is. So he included that preparation, incubation, illumination, and then implementation. So these four things that we move through when we're creating things. Now we know it to be essential to arts and literature and innovation, and it's, it's all part of that. So when I look at that history, and I see that this is a word that throughout time, the idea is evident everywhere throughout all cultures there's a lot of creativity happening and expression in terms of how we understand the word today but the word of creativity was not used until within the last hundred years and maybe that's why people have a hard time saying i am creative i am a creative person maybe those roots are deep yeah and there's something you mentioned about the renaissance and michelangelo i, I just came across this this week that when he painted the Sistine Chapel and that famous painting of God reaching out and touching Adam's finger, you know, the spark of life there. If you look at the cloud that's around, supposedly around God, it, Michelangelo kind of put a message in there, a hidden message in art that it was the human brain. You could see the human brain there, that creativity had a seat in the human brain, but that was very, he had to hide the message, right? He had to hide that. Because the church at the time said that creative pursuits, if you believe in a Christian God, he's the creator. How dare you become a creative yourself? And it's funny, I saw echoes of this in my own personal experience growing up because I grew up in a fairly fundamentalist church and I witnessed this happening to others. I was told fiction was a lie, not to write fiction. Art was a waste of time. Dance was evil because it showed off our body. Song was okay if you don't move while you sing because then it becomes a dance. And acting is all a lie. And those are messages that were piled on top of people. Now, I fought against them, but I know a lot of people, they were hammered down by them. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's just hard to fight those kinds of judgments that are embedded in not just the church. I mean, I don't mean to come from there, but we hear it from our family members and our friends, you know, go ahead and enjoy your little hobby, but please get the skills to make a real living because art, creativity, those kinds of things, that's just a hobby. That's not real. The fact that you mentioned that it's starting to be brought into science and, and math and things. I earned my living in the computer field for many, many years. And then when I branched out into writing, people would say to me, well, how do you marry those two up? Computers aren't terribly creative. And yet it was a very creative thing to do because you were creating programs, right? 
So there's still this dichotomy that I think still comes down through that people have this thing. Art is creative. Poetry gets included in there now. <laughs> but, you know, the other things that we do are not necessarily creative when they are terribly creative. And I think that's, again, comes why back to why people say, I'm not that creative because they aren't doing the traditional stuff. So then I wonder what is the answer, right? So how how is it then that we overcome this fear and this resistance in order to be able to create with joy? Because we need to be able to move through it so that we can live this wonderful life of, of abundance. Because who wants to fight fear all the time, right? That doesn't sound like a fun way to live your life. I've actually written about this quite a bit on my blog, and there was two articles that I'm including in our playlist today. It's because I go into this a little bit deeper, but Stephen Pressfield says the cure sounds real easy and it's hard. We have to create something. Um, one of the things I learned about fear is, yes, it does lock you up physically and the way to get past it is just to physically move. So when people say I go for a walk before I go to my studio or before I start writing, there's a reason for that because it's moving you past the fear. You're getting your body moving, right? He also recommends taking cues from our workday life and applying them to our creative endeavors. Because there are things we do in our work life that we should apply them to our creative life. We show up every day. We show up no matter what. We stay with it for the time that we have committed to that day. We commit for the long haul. Even if we go to another job, we keep working. We master the skills needed to do our jobs. We maintain a sense of humor about our work and we ask for help when we need it. And I thought I, we maybe should put this list onto our uh, show notes page because sure. remembering those things, they're physical, practical things we can do to help us get through the fear. But the most important thing is to just get moving. And I think that's where the hard part is until you call it resistance. And if you know it's resistance, well, then you know the cure is stop resisting and get moving. Well, I, I just, I love Stephen Pressfield's book and I, I've, I've read it a couple times and listened to it on audio. It's particularly good on audio and I like to to have that refresher. And this list is, is so important. It's about the commitment, about the stick to itness. We talked about how do we stay creative in a previous episode and really talked about the importance of the, those conditions that we need that are individual to us to make sure that we can commit to the long haul. The mastery, I think that that is another thing I would love to talk about in the future because there is a difference between the practice of creating and the mastery. I remember when I was in university, I went to a professor and said to him, um, he was my Irish drama professor. And I told him how, you know, I'm writing every day. And I was so proud of myself because I was getting up every day and I was doing lots of writing. And he looked at me and only the way that, a you know, the stereotypical professor can. And he says, well, it doesn't, and he's, and I can't, do his accent, but I feel like I need to change my voice anyway. But you know, he looked at me and he says, well, it really doesn't matter if you're writing every day, if it's all terrible. And I remember at the time just kind of going, ooh, because <laughs> here was an important person. However, what I learned from that 
is that there was a, a little shred of truth around the mastery piece, that it wasn't bad that I was writing every day. It was good that I was writing every day. But what am I also going to do to develop that mastery over time and to push my skills around? And for those of you that are writers and are looking to do something like that, there's a, a great book that I'll I'll put in the show notes because I don't have it here with me, but it's like 50, 50 strategies for writers. And it goes through even like right down to how to create a sentence. So I started working through each of these 50 things and I found that's when my writing really started to take off and it gave me the tools to be able to express with more specificity and precision. So that asking for help when we need it is I think what I was doing is I was going in there, you know, asking for that. Now what? I've, I've developed the practice. I've committed now what do I do in order to move my writing along? And it really is that that mastery piece and learning how to how to work through that. Well, you also said something really important there. You had 50 little things that you worked on one at a time. And I think when we try to bite it off too big, that amygdala, that little whatever portion of our brain comes in and says, whoa, that's too much. We have to kind of sneak in past it and not wake it up. And the way to do that is one small thing that break it down until it doesn't scare you. And I come back again to the three years ago when I committed to this 15 minutes of creative action every day for 30 days. And it was often, all it was, was a doodle in my sketchbook at the end of the day. But it was the way I developed that habit that you had for writing every day. Once I had that habit built, it was a lot easier to go and start looking at the mastery. And I think that it, we're describing the same process. I, I took a workshop yesterday and I loved it. It was took me beyond with watercolors and the acrylics that I do. I've always wanted to paint with oils. And so I was looking for someone who would give me the basics. You know, what do all these mediums mean? How do you even get started? All of that stuff. And that's what I found in this class. And I'm very excited about it. If I hadn't done that 15 minutes a day where I felt comfortable now with, with the basic skills, I'm not sure I would have gone to that class because I would have thought, what do I know? The guy who's teaching this is, a, you know, he's a, been painting for 60 years. He's a world-renowned painter. I can't walk into his class. But I felt like I could because I had developed the habit. Now I wanted the mastery that you talk about. I think mm -hmm. that's brilliant. I love that. It's taking us the smallest of actions and committing to the leap. I know that joy waits for us behind the fear because I've, mm -hmm. I've, I have jumped out of a redwood tree a hundred feet up in the air. Mm -hmm. I now strapped in and I was so terrified I couldn't move. But when I jumped, uh, the joy, I can't even begin to describe it to you. And so mm -hmm. I know if we take that leap, that joy is waiting for us. And that's what we're looking for with our creativity. And what I love about that, April, is that really is abundant thinking, right? That's a way that you can shift from that scarcity mindset and that fear and anxiety to recognizing that things can expand, you can find balance, that um, you can be in that present moment and create and find your flow. You can engage, you can be in the world. And I, I really find that what I need to do when I'm in that place of fear and anxiety around the creative work is I need to get out into the world. I need to go and have an experience. I Even if it's just walking through my neighborhood and remind myself that I'm not in my head. I need to practice gratitude and really think about 
the things I do have. So as a performer, I often get stage fright before I go on in a show or before I'm singing. And I have to actually mentally go through my head before the performance and think about everybody wants me to do well, really. Like that's a, that's a fact. Like what are the facts, right? People want me to do well. <laughs> I want me to do well. I've practiced this for months. I know this song. Even if I forget it when I get to my spot on the stage, the song is going to be there because it has always been there every time I've done this. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to be able to share this song or to share this, this play with, with other people. Or if it's writing a poem, it's, you know, something maybe around I've had an experience that I want to share with other people and connect through with other people. So it's looking at it through that, that mindset. So I would really love to one day go deeper into this idea of abundant thinking and looking at how we can use gratitude to help expand our creative confidence when we're faced with that fear and anxiety. I think the topic of fear, we're going to come back to a lot of times because that is always the biggest question that people ask me. How do I, how do I work when it, when I feel so stuck? And that's often a word they'll use to describe this resistance. I'm stuck. How do I get out of this? And abundance is a, this abundance thinking will change everything for them and gratitude. You can't be negative and feel gratitude too. So I agree with you. I think this is a whole nother show that um, we need to talk about what is abundant thinking and how is that going to help us with our uh, creative endeavors? Mm -hmm. Great. Now, I'm wondering if before we, we move into our playlist, I, would, I haven't heard much about your workshop that you went to. Do you have a minute to tell us a little bit about your workshop yesterday? And did any of these themes pop up through uh, your, your learning? Because sometimes when we're learning, learning isn't always comfortable. So normally when I am in a workshop, if I start to feel uncomfortable, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm learning something. This is what this discomfort feels. So did you, did you have any of that yesterday? A little bit, but this workshop was actually quite different for me in that I've been looking for this for so long and I was so hungry for some of the things that he gave me without realizing. The teacher's name was Wayne Boucher and he's, as I said, he's been painting for 60 years. He belongs to the Canadian National Academy. I think that's what it's called, but I may have that wrong. He just, he, he was very down to earth. He showed us his process and how he did it. And he spent a good hour explaining it. So I took lots of notes for myself. And then he gave us a couple of canvases to play with. And I just decided I was going to do what he had done because what he was giving me was the gift of loosening up. When I paint my watercolors, I'm quite usually quite detailed and controlled. And I have been feeling for a while now, I wanted something that felt looser and more playful. One of the things he did, and I've, I've always used brushes. I'm proud of my brush work. I do a lot of, I have, you should see my collection of brushes I have here. And somebody asked him about brushes and he said, oh, I don't use brushes. He said, I use, and he showed us all these tools that he, that he had made most of them himself and a few he had bought and he had gloves on his hands and he was using his fingers and everything. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to use brushes here. I'm going to use what he's doing. And that was a big leap for me. That was like, okay, and then I got in there and I just had a ball. I felt like a little kid with finger paints again and doing things and the inner child really came out. After I did the two paintings, I, I probably had to, I did have time to do a third, but I found myself mentally exhausted. I know part of that was maybe resistance, but also I was tired. And I thought, how else can I keep learning here? 
and there were a couple of art teachers in the workshop. So I knew they wouldn't mind if I eavesdropped a little bit while he went around the room and, and explained to them, you know, what they could do else with their pictures. And so, and I asked them and they said, yeah, that was no problem. So that was the other thing I did. I learned from others not only my own experience in there. That was a bit different for me too, because usually I'm so focused on what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on in the room. So there was a lot of that. I just came home so excited about this new medium and the things that I could do with it. I, I went in with the idea that I wasn't going to go in nervous. I was going to go in to learn. And I it shifted something for me when I did that because I knew I wanted this learning so badly. And I think maybe that's part of the resistance too, is a way to get around it, is recognize what it is you really want and how important that is. And if you're resisting it big time, like I said, that's a compass. Maybe that's something that you need more of in your life. Yeah, I could probably go on about that workshop for a while. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And that relationship between learning and creativity is so strong. Um, Everything Mm -hmm. we've talked about today is about learning. Thank you for sharing about your workshop yesterday. So in our playlist, what did you add to our playlist today? Well, I had two blog posts that I, from my own blog that I've put in there. So pardon the indulgence, but I know that there's information in there that might be helpful. One is called Creative Resistance. And the other one is called Creative Courage. So I thought they might be useful to the to the listeners. I included a link to The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield and also another book called Art and Fear by David Bales and Ted Orland, which is an excellent book as well. What have you got on there? Well, I uh, included a lecture that I found on YouTube and that I watched on the history of the concept of creativity. So if you wanted to go in deeper to see that, you're welcome to. And then an article around the 10 steps to develop an abundance mindset, because I do think for me that that's my antidote for when I am feeling the the fear is to go to that place of, of gratitude and abundance. And then finally, again, she's appeared before on our playlist, but Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. So we've got another episode coming up in a week. And I'm curious to know, what are we going to be talking about next week? Well, you mentioned that book by Sister Corita Kent, and I was so intrigued by it it, that I ordered it and I have started it. And I'm going to dive into it a lot deeper before we actually record something because I'm blown away just by the beginning of this thing. And a lot of it was stuff that I've talked about. So it's fun to see some of that validated and it's fun to see it go deeper. What else she adds to the whole conversation for me. So we're going to talk about Sister Krita Kent and what we can learn from her and do a little bit of a creativity profile on her, who she is and what she can offer to us. I'm excited. I've been a big fan of hers for a long time and recently was even able to uh, read a bit more about her biography. So I have some, some fun things to share. So we'll see you next week, April. This has been great fun today. Take care, Jessica. Hey everyone, April here at the end of an episode about fear. I hope we didn't scare you too much. As a creative, what I really want to encourage you to do is find those edges that make you uncomfortable. No one's telling you to jump off the cliff right now. Just want to expand your boundaries a little bit, those borders that we've created around ourselves. And the easiest way to do that is to pay attention to where you just start to feel like you want to back away a little bit and push against those. They're usually telling you this is a great place for you to learn And it's a place where perhaps you need to go with your creativity. So find your edges, push against them, expand your borders, and grow creatively this week. Have a good one.
and we'll talk to you in the next episode. You can find more podcast episodes and today's playlist at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. And you can learn more about our creative work at our individual websites. So you can learn more about me, Jessica, at sunshineinajar.com and more about April at aprilyjanes.com, A-P-R-I-L-L-E-J-A-N is in November, E-S.com. If you have any hummingbird questions for us to explore, we invite you to let us know. At thehummingbirdpodcast.com.